towards holiness. But let's, something opened up in a study for me that really kind of helped me to see the passage in a different way. Let's not just see it as a long list. Uh, we love lists, right? We lo- people, people who are organizers, they just love lists. Okay, these are all the things I ought not to do. And you make this list, and these are all the things I'm supposed to do. And let's not look at it that way. Instead, let's look at it as uh, more like there's, there's couples in each of these sections. Let me show you what I mean. There's basically um, four key admonitions in verses 27 to 30. Okay, then he gives some final just kind of quick bullets at the end. But, but he, he basically makes four major admonitions. What are they concerning? Okay, let's look and answer the question. What are these admonitions concerning? What, in other words, what are they about? You don't have to give me the admonition, but what are the admonitions about in general? What would admonition number one be about? I thought they were easy. This new section that we're talking about, 25, I'm saying in 25 to 30, there are four, I see them as pairs, but there's four major admonitions, four major topics. So topic number one is dealing with what? Lying in truth. Lying in truth. So there's a, there, there's a couple there. Hold on, if you're writing them down, don't do it yet because I'm going to make it easy for you in a minute. Second topic is what? Anger. Third topic is Stealing, and fourth topic is speech, right. So you have, let's review again. I forgot the first one already because I'm not looking. Uh, lying in truth, uh, anger, stealing, and speech. Now here's how you look at it. He gives a negative admonition and a positive admonition about each one with a reason why we should do it. Okay, is that follow so far? So, so for lying... He gives a negative admonition, a positive one, and then a reason. For anger, a negative, a positive, and a reason. For uh, stealing, a negative, a positive, and a reason. And for speech, a negative, a positive, and a reason. Okay, so that's what we're going to study tonight. Let's start with the lying and the truth. This is in verses 25. It was just in verse 25. Therefore, putting away... Let's read the whole thing. for We haven't even read the passage yet, which is a dangerous thing for us to do. Let's, let's read it so we have it all in our minds. 25. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the, re- the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God uh, in Christ forgave you. Okay? So we start with the admonition, topic number one, which is lying or, tr- or truth, which if, whichever way you want to look at it. And there's a negative admonition and a positive admonition. What is the negative admonition for the lying and truth part? In other words, what, what did he tell you? What did he tell you to stop doing? Okay, so the negative, put, put away lying, and the positive is speak truth. And the reason is, what's the, what's the clause reason? Yeah, because we're members of each other. Okay, so let's walk through all of it. In fact, the word lying, if you carry an ESV, uh, which we're thinking about switching to that, because uh, I think the kids use ESV, and it might just be better if we all just kind of did that. Uh, not that you can carry any kind of Bible you want, but 
Uh, the word for ESV is not lying. Does anybody have one? Falsehood, right. That's a really better term, falsehood. Uh, John 8, same word, John 8, 44, that the devil has nothing to do with truth because the truth is not in him. He is the father of lies. Interestingly, that, again, the same word in Romans 1, 25, Paul says that a sinful person has exchanged the truth of God for falsehood, a lie, right. Um, and the word, the word is also used of the Antichrist. So this is something we definitely want to get away from. It's used of the Antichrist in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 and 11, when it says the Antichrist will perform false wonders. Okay, So think about it. Uh, the word is used of people who reject God and embrace falsehood. The word is used of Satan, the father of all falsehood. And the word is used of the Antichrist, who is going to create false presentation. He's going to be basically a false Christ. So the word in Scripture, whenever it appears, it always appears as the opposite of truth. The complete opposite of truth. So I don't think that Paul's admonition here just means don't tell a fib. Okay, that definitely would be included. We shouldn't lie. We know that. But it's not, that's not just what he's saying. Stop fibbing. He's saying lay aside, put away falsehood, any sort of deception or hypocrisy, Anything falsehood could be anything that is against truth, anything that is opposed to Christ, who is the truth. Um, any sort of uh, secrets in our lives that, that no one else knows about. Uh, that must be put away. That, 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 in a sense, is a falsehood. I compared to James 1.22. We talked about that this morning. When we don't do what the Lord says, we're deceiving ourselves. We, we are living a life of falsehood. And so rather than, and this could include like, this could include lying, this could in, include embracing a theological falsehood or any sort of deception like we mentioned. But rather than doing that, we are to speak truth. And of course that is talking about telling the truth. In fact, if you look back to uh, verse 15, this is the way the church grows by speaking the truth to one another in love so that we grow up into the head who is Christ. And so as we have been created in, in righteousness and true holiness, we are to speak truth to each other. That, that doesn't just mean I'm always going to tell everybody the truth, although it means that. It means I'm going to live a life of truth in front of everyone. Um, and the reason... we're members of one another can anyone make the connection there why is that the reason how would how, how would falsehood then that's right we're on the right track here did you hear what I just said I said that's right to you you were just saying earlier that you never get a right answer okay that's <laughs> we're on the right track it seems like a spotlight should be coming down right now that's that's right so how does falsehood, but how does falsehood hurt each other? How, do, how does lying hurt each other? I mean, can you give be sp more specific about this? Has anybody ever had a friend who was a Christian have something in their life that it was exposed that was secret and false? Of course we have. We've all had people like that. And how, what does that do to the body of Christ, right? The testimony of Christ, the, the, the membership. It's like it devastates, it harms them. It's not just telling a lie, hey, you look great tonight. You know, it's, that, that, is so, that is such on the surface, isn't it? Just obviously we speak truth to each other. It, it has more to the idea of 
my life is open. I, I live truthfully in front of everyone. I, I, don't, I don't have secrets. Did you want to speak to something too? Or? Yeah. Right. Now, all that is only one side of things. It's it, the, the neg- that's the negative. But let's think about it this way. Let's imagine that uh, as Christians, we are members. This is the difference. What, what would be the difference between an organization and an organism? Because the church is not an organization. In an organization, people may or may not be interrelated. But in an organism, we all are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are connected. The, Paul uses the image of the, the body. We are all parts of one another. He's, he's used that uh, just uh, back in verse number 16 when he said the whole body is joined and knit together by these joints and we're all working together. So there is the negative, like if falsehood is exposed in John's life, I'll use him as an example, there would never be, but if something is exposed and we would all be devastated and hurt by that, yes, but there's also another aspect. Let's say John sees something in my life that is negative and he doesn't speak truth to me about that. It harms me just as much, doesn't it? Because we tend to like to ignore those type of situations. It's like a true friend will always tell you if you have food on your face. Right? You ever sat with somebody at a meeting and then you went away and you realized you had something in your teeth or you had something, you had something wrong? Why did they tell me? Because they don't tell you because they don't want to hurt you. But it's more damaging. I always tell people, even if I barely know them, I say, hey, you know, you got something really wrong. Because I don't, if it were me, I would want to know that I have a problem going out. I don't want everybody to point out this black thing in the middle of my teeth. And yet sometimes when we see spiritual problems in other people's lives, we're afraid to speak the truth to them. Well, what, how will they respond? What will they say? This can be just as bad. This can be, this can be falsehood, right? Putting aside falsehood, which is what we're told to do, and speaking truth with his neighbor doesn't mean just living truth before everyone. I mean, there's all kinds of applications. It also means when I see a problem, I have an obligation to go back to uh, the verse we're pointing back already, um, speaking the truth in love, verse number 15. doesn't mean we hammer one another, but, but we, we share it lovingly, say this is an issue that you may not be aware of. And, and we, that's what we are members of one body, and we do that for each other that we might grow. Okay? Um, Deception, in either way, that positive or negative way that I just explained, harms the whole body. Um, lying in all sorts of falsehood hinders our growth. Okay, anyone want to remark on that, or we'll go on to the next one? Let's do admonition number two then. Okay, that's lying. Now we have anger, and this is a this is this is the most difficult of the four, because he actually gives the positive admonition first, where he says, "Be angry, <laughs> uh, but don't sin." And then the negative admonition is don't let the sun go down on your wrath. And the clause or the reason for giving it is because it gives place to the devil. Okay? So in, this is the only one where he does the positive one first. Be angry and do not sin. And the negative, don't let the sun go down on your wrath. The reason, because it gives place to the devil. This is an exact quotation from Psalm 4, verse 4. And it's another harmful attitude of the body of Christ. But it's a very puzzling section. Just like lying, anger can hinder the growth of the church. Remember when we talked about the word gentleness in Ephesians 4, verse 2, and gentleness 
That word means being angry at the right things at the right times for the right reasons. So there is a place for anger, but this passage puzzled people. Whenever I, whenever I come to a puzzling section and there's four different people who say four different things about it, it's hard for me to say dogmatically what it means. I mean, how many sermons have you heard on, well, this means you can have righteous indignation, right? We hear this all the time. There is a righteous indignation. Uh, and I don't know that that's necessarily what it's talking about. I think what, it, I think what it's basically, and some people think it means when you are angry or if you are angry, it's certainly not commanding us to be angry. That, doesn't, that wouldn't make sense. Uh, and some people would say things like, well, we know God became angry. We know Christ became angry. What would be the difference? They can be angry without sinning. And so that's really what the command is. It, there is a place for anger, but one thing I, I, I can't remember if I read or heard this. I think this, this was helpful is God and Christ... The difference there is in their perfection could always control their anger where we usually are controlled by our anger. And we become more and more controlled by our anger the longer we hold on to that. And that's why the negative admonition is don't let the sun go down on your wrath. So, so basically the admonition is he here is when there is anger, you better be cautious because sin follows anger very closely. Okay? And so the... The recommendation, uh, that's, a, that's a mild way to put it, the command is, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Um, unattended anger only tends to fester and increase. It mu must be dealt with. Someone said the day of anger must be the day of reconciliation. Uh, because, as the verse continues, the reason for this is, this gives place to the devil. If you've ever heard a sermon on this verse, uh, it, it's the idea of giving the devil a jumping off point or a beachhead from which to uh, attack other areas. It's almost like he's, he builds a station on your anger and then can jump off and create uh, other sin points for us. Uh, he will take anger even when it's appropriate and scheme and plot and deceive us into sin and so the, the admonition here is settle issues quickly which will thwart the devil who will attempt to manipulate things and create again more disunity in the body when anger comes okay that's a tricky one because the be angry and sin not is a, is a tough one uh, of course it's not commanding us to anger I think I think I'm saying it right when I say that it means when anger shows up be very very cautious anyone think they have an insight there that might be helpful I think we deal with anger in a in a quick and timely way and we we should probably ask ourselves is this anger really justified i mean like i said we hear these sermons on righteous indignation but how many things really are there for us to be righteously indignant about usually our anger isn't about that it's about our own impatience or lack of uh someone is not doing something as quickly as we'd like or um maybe we're uh not as long suffering with someone as we should be we, that calls us back to ephesians 4 verse 2 as well Okay, third one uh, is stealing and instead of stealing work. So the, the, po the, the, neg the positive as uh, admonition comes first. Excuse me, the negative admonition comes first. Let him who steals steal no longer. So basically we say don't steal anymore is the, is the admonition. The positive admonition is instead that person should work and labor with his hands for what is good. And the reason is so that he can give to those who have need. Who are these people? Who are these people who are stealing? 
Um, probably not slaves. Um, the things that I read about this, the, the, the idea is that these are people who uh, were either stealing from their employers uh, or they were employers who were stealing from their customers. But I, but I like the idea of it being people who were stealing from their employers because uh, one of the writers that I, I, that I read this week said that they would steal because it was the only way they could provide for their families. They would, they would be working and they just wouldn't be making enough, so they would steal from their employers to take more. But that was not even to be used as an excuse because that is a pattern of the old life. And the reason I think it's that is because of the quick connection to working that he makes in verse 28, saying... Don't steal work. Don't, don't steal work. So work with your hands. Earn your way by working hard. And uh, the Greek here indicates that it means to engage yourself in work and wear yourself out in toil. Busy yourself hard with work. Because the passage also tells us in the New Testament if a person doesn't work, then they shouldn't eat. And if a person doesn't take care of his family, then that person is worse than, a, than an infidel. There's, there's Work is... We often think of work as being a result of the curse, but it's not. Work is not a result of the curse. Now, hard work uh, and, the, and the, the curse of the ground, that, that's, that's the curse. It w- but it wasn't just work. Adam tended and worked in the garden prior to the fall. We are to work ourselves out, uh, wear ourselves out with work. And the idea here is also, I mean, it, it's not just, uh, so then it's not just warning us about stealing it's also warning us about something else yeah idleness laziness right work work and wear yourself out so you can provide and 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 not just so you can provide for yourselves the reason goes on so you can also do what help other people right the point is not just to to work enough so you can get by and make what you need but but work with your hands towards what is good so that you can assist other people. So stop being a mooch and stealing to get by. Work hard so you can provide for yourself and provide for other people. That's what the new life looks like. In other words, Christians should be the best workers at their jobs. The, the Christian, and and I, think, I think generally this is true, and, and it should be for all of us, and, and Max working at Tim Hortons was just amazed at, the, at this summer at, the, at just the utter laziness of individuals and how max who is not <laughs> is not a real go-getter as far as laboring but just a person who will basically just do what he's told to do it's like whoa but that's how you should all be looked at at your work like here's a here's a guy we want to hang on to here's a gal that she really right it should be should mark the christian some pattern of, that's a mark of the new life Some sort of skill or, yeah. Right. Right. That's the idea of the uh, working with your hands towards doing something that is good. 
right? Towards make your make something of your life, be a profitable person in society, but not just to advance yourself. That the whole clause gives us the reason so that we can, in time of need, be able to give to other people. That's the reason for this change that he mentions here. Okay, fourth one, because we're running out of time here. Fourth one is um, regarding uh, speech, and this one may be the one that hits us uh, closest to home here. Uh, once again, you have a negative and a positive. The negative is do not let corrupt speech come out of your mouth, uh, but only speak what is good so it can provide grace. Um, what is the clause? What is the reason? The others were easy to find. What is the clause here? Okay, I still think that's a positive. That, that's, a, that's what I thought going in, but I still think that's a positive. I think the clause is a little later. I think the clause is because it grieves the Holy Spirit. I think you go on to that connection. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, so here's what I, here's what I think. The, the negative is, don't speak corrupt words. The positive is, but speak good so it imparts grace. And maybe that is part of the clause too, Sherry. It very well could be. But the, but the further clause is, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Corrupt speech grieves the Holy Spirit. And again, this is all in relation to the body, right? Lying and deception tears down the body. Anger tears down the body. Laziness and stealing breaks down the body. And speech, maybe more than anything else, tears down the body. The word corrupt is just a brutal Greek word. It's used for rancid fish, rotten wood, withered flowers, putrid smells. It's like you open up your mouth and the sewer pours out. Um, Christians are to put that far away. There's so many examples of rotten speech. So many examples. It's not just cursing. So many examples of rotten speech. Rancid speech. What? Yeah, I'd love to love to share a juicy tidbit about somebody. Sure. Are you afraid to say? Because you're afraid to. What? Rancid speech. Other types. Like what? Skin. Okay, sure. Yeah, just negative, slanderous comments. Yeah. Yeah, any sort of sarcasm, that's kind of a big one. Uh, fouled speech, uh, coarse jokes, um, maligning of others that was mentioned. All of that is corrupt and should not come forth out of our mouth. Instead, only what is good for building up. What we should do as Christians is note what other people need to hear and be able to say those words at the right time that it might provide something in their life that they are lacking. I'm sure we all know people in our lives who say things at the right time. They say the right thing at the right time, and they always seem to do that um, because they've, they've really, that's a, that's a skill, I think. It's a practice. There's a person that I know that seems to always, always say nice things at the right time and it's not in a it's not in a sense of flattery flattery can be another corrupt speech when we just say things to try to get something back but it always seems to hit the hit the right spot and i wish i could be more like that because that is what marks a christian when they've put off the old man and put on the new man speech especially marks it we just talked about this morning what you bring out of your of your 
you bring forth actions from an evil or good heart. The clause, as far as grieving the Holy Spirit, is really the motivation for not letting the speech come out of our mouths. Um, the, the Spirit is especially grieved when we are speaking about or to one another in a way that is unwholesome or unkind or filthy or corrupt. The Holy Spirit is pained by that. It proves, of course, the personality of the Holy Spirit. A, a force cannot be grieved. A, a, an idea or a thought cannot be hurt. An inanimate object cannot feel that sorrow. And the Holy Spirit has sealed each one of us as individual believers. We talked about this back in Ephesians 1.14 when we said that the Holy Spirit has sealed us for the day of redemption. Uh, and sealing is intended to prove authenticity it's intended to prove uh, ownership, and it's intended to prove security, those three things. And the Holy Spirit has sealed each one of us so that when corrupt speech happens within the body of Christ, that, that, grieves, that grieves the Holy Spirit. Okay? And that, that, is, that is the four admonitions. Then it seems like Paul just comes up with a few more, but I think they're connected. Okay, and I'll explain why. We just kind of, give me a couple more minutes, we'll finish 31 and 32. So those are the four admonitions about lying, about anger, about stealing, and about speech. Negan positive in the reason. And then he finally comes up and says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you uh, with all malice. Okay? Now, at first glance, it seems like these are just a list of random vices that Christians are not to exercise themselves in. Bitterness, wrath, Anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice. Um, is, there, is there a common theme? Does anybody notice a common theme? Or are they just random? Okay. No question about that. Let's be a little more specific. It, that is part of it. All of these actions are directed towards other people, and they all would be what? What's that? Yeah, they're all wrong. They're all sinful, evil actions, and they all maybe specifically, and maybe it's a little bit of a stretch, but I almost think it's, I almost think as he just comes off of the co evil communication, that it really all can be, and he talked about anger and evil communication, they, they seem to fit this idea of verbally expressed anger. Yes, you want to say? Yeah, yeah. I think you're. I think again, you are right on. Okay, these ideas that, because this is this is what one author says is that, and, and he's just saying it as a question and speculation. So I like to move over when I'm not quite sure. But the idea is that they all seem to fit in verbally expressing anger, bitterness. Right, you're bitter about a person, so we so we express that anger and wrath. Clamor means like shouting. And, and railing against other people. Malice, that's a severe, uh, boy, you wish, it's like you wish harm on people. But the, the contrast is don't be like that. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted and forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And you see the connection there then. It's not that this is a random verse that is inserted on forgiveness here at the end of a passage. I think it fits the context of anger and and uh, verbal communication because the tendency is to when we are wronged we want to express with a 
with a verbal response of anger or bitterness. We, we want to respond negatively back to the person, but he says, don't do that. Be kind. And it, why would he include forgiving? Because there must have been a reason for us to express that anger because we have been wrong. He says, don't, don't express that anger. Instead, forgive that person. And some people even like to connect chapter 5, verse 1 to this whole section where it says, be imitators of God. It could be that that connects back with 432. It could be that moves on to the next section. People, are, people debate that. But, but there is no debate that it says forgive like God forgave in Ephesians 4.32. Forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. So the point Paul is making here is how can you be upset and angry and express this kind of attitudes towards one another when God in himself has pardoned you from all your sins and forgiven you and been kind to you? Do you think you're somehow above that and, and you, have the, you have the right to express this anger to other people? in these forms of bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking. All of this is so practical. And we could walk out here tonight and be confronted with any number of these things, right? Maybe even sitting here, we're confronted with some sort of hypocrisy or falsehood that we're protecting. Or we do have an anger issue. Or we do have a verbal problem. Or we do have a stealing problem, right? Maybe you have one of these issues. Well, that stuff has to be put away because it has no place in the life of a, new, of a, of a person who's been born again. This is what it means to walk worthy. Did you want to? Okay, you were just. I think you were go, trying to go for a third right answer. Yeah, you, you walk out of here good tonight. That's encouraging. It it it's convicting because it just it just Paul just makes it very clear what the Christian's actions should be like. This is what holiness looks like, right? Holiness practiced is a person who is honest and true, upfront with everybody. A person who can restrain their anger. A person who. Uh, works hard and, and uh, doesn't uh, rob, a person who speaks kindly, a person who forgives. I mean, there's lots of things for us to consider tonight, okay? And on that note, let's pray and, and uh, wake up those who are sleeping and be on our way, all right?